Good, um, wonderful. Good morning. Uh, welcome to Good First again. Uh, for those of you that are visitors uh, or, or who have a short memory, my name is Josh. Uh, <laughs> I'm part of the uh, leadership team here. It's just, isn't it good to be together as church, to gather uh, and sing worship? Just lovely just looking out actually and seeing people conversing with one another, having fun together. It's such a privilege to, uh, to be part of church. And if you're a visitor, I hope you have felt welcome. Uh, we really do want you to feel welcome uh, as, you, as you visit us. I hope you feel at home. Uh, so we're going to be continuing our uh, series in the Lord's Prayer. This is our last week on that before next week having our birthday celebration uh, where we celebrate eight years on the 8th of October. So it's good. So next year we'll do nine years and we'll make sure that Sunday falls on the 9th of October. We'll be struggling when it gets to year 32 and 33. <laughs> then we need to do something. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's great to just be in such good prayer, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And it's been um, really helpful. I trust it's been helpful for you that have been part of it. Uh, and today, I hope, is, is, no, is no different. And it, in fact, have you, have you ever made a decision that sort of seemed like a good idea at the time? And then at some point later, you realize that wasn't such a good decision. I remember running, we ran the Varvet, myself and my wife, the half marathon, and after 21 kilometers of running, uh, there was a, at the, at the finish line, there was a dime, you know dime torta, like the dime cakes? There was a stand giving away free dime cake, and that looked like the best decision I was ever going to make when I took not one plate of dime cake, because it was free, and I'm English, so I like to take things for free, not one, not two, not three, not four. I took five plates of free cake. And after 21 kilometers, you're like, this is the dream. And honestly, I had the best minute I've ever had. I thought this was the best decision. And uh, about 24 hours later, I realized it definitely wasn't the best decision. As I was just, I was sick, oh, it, was, it was horrific. Um, but at the time, it, it seemed like a really good decision. As, as we were uh, dividing who was going to do what preach for the Lord's Prayer, I got to this part of the prayer, and I was like, ah, I will do that preach. I thought, this is a good decision. Uh, and then I started looking at it this week. And I've realized, much like the dime cake, that it wasn't such a good decision. My brain has kind of, my brain is normally like this anyway, but this week it has been like extra, like confused. And I've been struggling, trying to work out actually what Jesus is saying to us. Because we hear the Lord's Prayer, and we've all heard it probably tens, hundreds, perhaps even thousands of times. And what happens when you hear words times and times again is that they just, they lose their impact. They kind of go over your head. And when we read the words that we're about to read, that they kind of just fly over our head. We almost don't recognize the words and the potential problems that they, they, uh, they, they bring. So this is what uh, we're looking at today. Jesus said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or you could say, lead us not into testing, but deliver us from the evil one. Words that are, too, are not surprising to many of us in this room. Words that we have heard many, many times, yet actually really pose some questions. And the first one is, well, Jesus says, lead us not into temptation. 
So does that mean then that God tempts? Does that mean that God leads us or could lead us into temptation? And as believers, we know that God leads, right? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. His lamp, his word is a lamp for my feet, for my path. We know that he leads us into good things, but does he lead us into temptation? Well, yes and no. So James 1 is very clear. James says, God does not tempt Yet, he allows tempting. He allows temptation. He allows testing. And that's the story of Scripture. Adam and Eve, you're kind of given incredible freedom. You do anything, pretty much. Much more freedom than I give my kids, that is for sure. There's just one thing you can't do. There's a test. There's a temptation. And as we go through Scripture, Abraham... King David, Saul, uh, Job is a great example of God just allowing testing. The Israelites tested. As we go to the New Testament, Jesus comes, and what does he do with his friends? He tests them. In fact, Jesus himself, we read uh, in the early chapters of the Gospels, that he was led into the wilderness, full of the Holy Spirit. He's had this incredible experience of God, and the Holy Spirit has come on him like a dove. And what happens? He goes into a period of testing, a period of temptation. So does God tempt? No. Does he allow temptation? Yes. And he allows it to, to test and to shape our character to reveal our hearts so that faith would arise. Which then, if he allows temptation, if arguably temptation is a good thing that God uses and shapes us with, then why does Jesus pray? This uh, Just a bit of an insight into my brain this week. Then why does Jesus pray, lead us not into temptation? And that really uh, gets to the heart of the prayer. I think one thing we've learned as we've done this series is this is a prayer to God, but it's also a prayer that serves and instructs us. It orientates our heart. It's not just a prayer to God, but it teaches us about who God is. It teaches that the Father loves his children, that we get to call him. So yes, we pray our Father, but as we pray that, we realize he's our Father, as we pray, give us today our daily bread, we, we realize it's he who provides. Even as we say those words, we recognize he is the provider. As we pray, uh, forgive us as we forgive others, we realize, as we sung so beautifully today, we have been forgiven because of the Lamb, hallelujah, who has overcome. And so when it gets to uh, lead us not into temptation, we recognize... Uh, we recognize that our own hearts can be led into temptation. We recognize that our own hearts can be disobedient, that our own hearts can be wayward, that they can find temptation attractive, that it can be desirable. So don't think, as we look at temptation in Scripture, as we look at Adam and Eve, and, and there's this fruit that the serpent offers, don't think for one minute that that was a rotten piece of fruit. That was very tempting. 
Don't think that when Jesus was in uh, the desert, the wilderness, for all those days, and he was hungry, don't think that he was not tempted when the enemy said, there's some stones, you hungry? Don't think that temptation for these incredible heroes was not tempting, did not look good, it wasn't desirable. And our hearts can easily be led astray in temptation. And so this prayer, what it does, it orientates our heart. It recognizes that the spirit perhaps is willing, but our flesh, our body, is weak. It's easy for us to fall into temptation. And so therefore, Jesus says, pray this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. Which then poses another question. Has he not already delivered us from the evil one? Behind me, uh, perhaps none of you, perhaps some of you recognize this man. He's, there's a man, there he is. Perhaps some of you, perhaps none of you can even see the picture. Needs a bit of bit of work on the projector, a bit too dark. It, this is a guy called Louise Uzua, uh, who on the 5th of August in 2010, he led his, yes, Louise, <laughs> he led his, uh, his group of 32 other miners uh, down into a mine in Chile, uh, where, where he thought would be a normal day. Little did he know, at around 2 o'clock the same day, the, uh, the mine would in part collapse, and that he would be stuck down there for many, many days. In fact, they had two days' worth of water, and they had two days' worth of food in conditions that were cramped, uh, with temperatures apparently of around 35 degrees, which for an Englishman would have killed me directly. But they're kind of like, they're, they're stuck in this position, and, 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 th- and this moment gathered the world's attention. So I think we probably all know who Louise is now that I start talking about the Chilean mine disaster. It gathered the attention of the world. And, and they started drilling in lots of different places to try and find these men. And the day after, in fact, the, uh, the rescue attempt was further hindered because a, a shaft that potentially could have helped also collapsed. And it wasn't until 17 days of drilling and sort of probing, one of 30 probes uh, suddenly started recording, like, you know, like, like shovels and tools being, like, hit on. And this, this, this uh, sound started, they started hearing. And so as they pulled out the probe, they found this note uh, on, uh, on, on the probe, which read, I'll take it in Spanish, Estamos bien en el refugio los 33. All 33 of us are okay. 17 days after the mine had collapsed, they were rescued. And these drills, probes, very technical terms, probes, uh, going up and down with food and water and medical supplies, they were rescued. But it wasn't until 51 days later that they were really rescued, when Louis, the last man out of the mine, took a breath of fresh air, uh, fresh air, <laughs> fresh air, as he was truly once and tr- he was rescued. 
51 days of being rescued in the cave, yet not completely rescued. And this is very similar to how the Bible describes us as believers. So we have been rescued. We have been delivered. Ephesians 1 is just this incredible sort of like worship song, like Paul just continues talking. It's a massive long sentence because he's so excited. Praise be to God, the Father who has rescued us, he's predestined us, he's as you know, sons, he's been we have been redeemed, we have been rescued, we have been redeemed, we have been restored. And Paul is like, that's amazing news. This is the gospel that through Jesus' finished work on the cross, he has defeated death. Through his resurrection and his ascension at the Father's right hand, we have been redeemed. We have been rescued. The probe has kind of come down into our cave, if you like. The words become flesh and lived amongst us and rescued us from the darkness. But we find ourselves in these 51 days between the 22nd of August and the 12th of October. We find ourselves rescued, receiving our daily bread, yet not completely rescued not completely freed. We know that there is darkness around us. We know that there is temptation around us. We know that there is despair and suffering. We we know that we've been rescued, but we wait for one day when we will be truly rescued, when there will be no more tears, where there will be no more suffering. Beautiful. What a hope we have. Isn't the gospel good news? Perhaps you don't know Jesus this morning. Perhaps you're questioning and walking through things. Let me tell you this. The gospel is good news. Jesus is good news. He has come into our darkness as light. And the light does not overcome the darkness. So if you're exploring that at the moment, I encourage you, hold on to the light. Be saved by the light. But we do find ourselves still living with the reality of darkness around us. We have been delivered, but we haven't been fully delivered from the evil one. And there is a a very real enemy called Satan who hates Jesus, hates his church, he hates us, and although he has been defeated, although he has been cast down, we read in Revelation 12 that he is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. He's been given a limited window and, he's been, and he is filled with fury because he has been defeated. C.S. Lewis said this, that there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, uh, every split second, every you know, small bit, just thinking if it, we don't really work in inches so much, do we? Every three squared three centimeters approximately, every second is claimed and then counterclaimed by Satan. And Jesus, in teaching this, this prayer, is completely aware of that fact. He's aware that we have an enemy. He's aware of Satan because not long before he says, right guys, this is how you should pray, he is in the wilderness face to face with Satan, face to face with the enemy, being tempted. And we know that actually soon after this prayer, again, he's going to be face to face with the enemy in the form of the, uh, the Roman soldiers as they nail him to the cross. So he's completely aware of the reality of spiritual warfare, of the reality 
of Satan. And notice how or what he says. He doesn't say, deliver us from the nasty one or the bad guy, the grumpy, the hangry. He says, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. And that's a word that we perhaps don't use as much as we should when talking about Satan, when talking about the enemy. He is evil. He is the evil one. And so when we look at the news last week and notice that in this month in Sweden has seen the most deaths for like the last four years in terms of shootings and explosions, we recognize that actually behind that is the evil one. When we look at the news in Iraq and a big Christian city that are celebrating a wedding and we read that 100 people died in a fire, horrific, in one of the most joyful times, incredible suffering, we recognize that there is evil in the world and there's an evil one. When we look at statistics about world hunger and our hearts break, we recognize that behind things like that is evil is the evil one. And there's a reality of spiritual warfare. And friends, we must be aware of that. We must be aware that behind the scenes lies the evil one. We must be aware that there are schemes that the devil uses. And I think uh, that Jesus gives us a clue as to what spiritual warfare looks like when he teaches us to pray lead us not into temptation. I, I just, I, I believe that God wants to redefine our understanding of spiritual warfare. I think it's almost that there's two types of spiritual warfare, if you like. There's the obvious spiritual warfare, and there is the subtle spiritual Warfare, obvious being things like in Daniel, as before summer, chapter eleven, you see uh, the angel Gabriel, Michael having like battles with the prince of Persia, and then going off to fight the prince of Greek. It's like Greece. That's obvious, right? Or as we look at the Gospels and we see Jesus walking past a man who no one can walk near because he's so violent, he's full of evil spirits, and when Jesus approaches him, he he says, "I'm legion because we are so many," and and Jesus is casting this spirit out into like a herd of pigs, and they jump off the cliff. That, this obvious spiritual warfare. There's no one that's going to say that's not spiritual warfare. As the sons of Sceva in Acts 19, I think it is, and this priest attempt to exercise, exercise, ex- right, this is going to be a problem, isn't it? You all know what I mean. I definitely don't mean exercise. Exercise, exorcise, exorcise, exorcise. When they try to do that thing, not in the authority of Jesus, not in the authority of Paul, then what happens is that this demon replies, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you guys? And then he beats them all up, all seven sons, and they end up running down the street naked, which is a wonderful preach when we'll get there. And Jobin, you're going to take that one. Sorry, just. But like, that's, it's obvious spiritual warfare, right? There's no one saying, oh, that's not spiritual warfare. It's obvious. And that has happened for us as a church. 
we've got the privilege of Jeremy and Anne Simpkins coming over in just a few weeks who lead Christ Central, a group of a couple of hundred churches, and we know them as friends, right? It's like mothers and fathers to us. Yet every time they've come, there has been someone who has been very sick, and quite a few people have been physically sick when they come. So get it in your diaries in three weeks. In fact, we've not got this venue in three weeks. That's not a surprise, because the enemy is aware of, of the fruit that they bring when they come. He's trying everything that he can to stop them coming. So there's obvious things, and, we, and we've seen plenty of obvious stuff as a church. Yet, actually, the obvious spiritual warfare, in a way, I'm going to regret saying this, but in a way is actually quite good. Because what it tells you is that we're, we're on, on to something. When Jeremy and Anne come literally every time, and I'm there throwing up, or another family's throwing up, and it's just horrible, we know, okay, there's obviously something that the enemy wants to stop here. Let's go even more into that direction. So in a way, it's quite good news, because we know we're on the right track. Definitely shouldn't have said that. What is more challenging uh, is what Jesus, I think, introduces in this prayer, which is a much more subtle form of spiritual warfare, yet I'd suggest, especially in the West, in nations like Sweden, is a lot more common, and that is temptation. A subtle warfare. There's this fascinating scene uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where we know Jesus went the nights of his betrayal. And as you can imagine, this is like the height of spiritual warfare. Hours later, he's going to be dragged off by Roman soldiers. He's going to be led through a mock trial. He's going to be hung to a cross, winning the victory. This is the height of spiritual warfare. It's very interesting. The gardens at the beginning of Scripture and the Garden of Gethsemane, nice places, Yet the reality is there's real spiritual warfare in those places. It makes me think we live in a nice part of the world, yet there is real spiritual warfare here. And we need to be aware of that. But there's this fascinating scene. As, as, as Jesus is going through this horrifically, he, he literally says he, he was, his soul was overwhelmed. We don't often think about Jesus like that, do we? He was overwhelmed, he was heartbroken. He prayed, actually talking about unanswered prayer, he said, take this from me. Something, a prayer that God doesn't answer, as he says, no, you're going to be going to the cross. But it's in this moment of intense spiritual warfare that he asks his friends to watch out for him. Those that he's been with for many years, he says, look, guys, can you just watch and pray? And we all know the story, don't we? He goes away for an hour, and he comes back. Are they all sort of in prayer mode? Maybe for some of us. No, they're all asleep. And so he kind of like slaps Peter, pours some water over him or whatever he does. He wakes them up, and he says, wake up. Watch. Pray. Pray for me? No. This is what he says. He says, pray that you will not be overcome by temptation. 
he teaches him, he says, remember the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation. He says, right now, in this moment of incredible spiritual warfare, I want you to pray that you're not led into temptation. I find it fascinating that that is the prayer that Jesus, in this moment of intense warfare, tells Peter and his followers to pray. Because he knows that his friends are willing. Peter says, if everyone else leaves you, I will be with you. He knows they're willing, but he also knows they're weak. And their flesh, their spirit is weak. And so it says, pray that you are not tempted. And tempted into what? Well, interestingly, we know that Peter denies Jesus just the next, like, during the trial. But actually, most people would say what Jesus was talking about was not even that denial, but was temptation to sleep. Stay stay awake. Don't fall into temptation. Don't fall asleep. I need you to pray for me. You know, sometimes the battles of spiritual warfare are won in the small, everyday moments where Jesus' followers, his friends, us, his disciples, are faithful with little things, like staying awake, watching out for him, praying for him, not denying him. And so spiritual warfare, we must, I just really feel that God wants to say this to us as a church, is not just about the big obvious. Actually, it is about the everyday temptations that just subtly take us off course. I was reminded of a clock as I was preparing this, and kind of think, if you think of temptations as just like one second at a time, it's like, okay, well, it's just one second. It's just one small temptation. I'll, I'll do that one. It's not that big a deal. But what happens, all of a sudden, it goes from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock as one second becomes two seconds, becomes three seconds, and the followers of Jesus just, of Jesus just become taken off track just with the little, little things. I wonder how Peter would have responded when the servant girl said, do you know that guy? If he'd have stayed up, like Jesus said, and prayed not to fall into temptation. I wonder, would he have denied Jesus? I guess we'll never know. I think the more challenging spiritual warfare that we all need to be aware of is the subtle temptations, just the seconds that the enemy throws our way, that the evil one throws our way, just small things, just that... Things that could even be good, actually. To sleep, I'm a father to three wonderful but sleepless boys. My, I had a lion today. Does anyone want to guess what time I woke up? Six. It was a lion, Matthew. Five. Yesterday it was 4.30. So I know sleep is a good thing, right? But actually, even there's times that Jesus calls us even to stop with good things for a bigger purpose. No, actually, Peter, don't sleep at the moment. You can sleep soon, but please pray. Fasting, would be, food is a great thing, right? All agreed? Actually, sometimes Jesus says, no, just take a moment away from food. Fast. Show priorities. Things that can be good, yet sometimes Jesus is just saying, no, just stop that for a moment. And Paul, Paul talks in Ephesians 6 about the schemes of the enemy. 
or the strategy that the enemy takes. Subtle things, subtle strategy that just takes us off track from what God is calling us to do. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, uh, Satan, we read, disguises himself as an angel of light. There's a reality that he is trying to, and, and the reason he does that is to lead people astray. So he can look good. And temptation, we all know that temptation is attractive. Otherwise, it wouldn't be temptation. It wouldn't tempt us if it wasn't desirable. And so the, we've got to be aware of temptation and, and being led astray from Jesus. And I, I, believe, um, I believe that the evil one, call him what he is, is very happy with like, lukewarm Christians. Christians that have just taken a few seconds. This one doesn't matter so much. Ah, won't, we'll skip church this week. We won't bother praying for that person. I just think, I think the enemy is very happy about that. Because I think he realizes how dangerous we are to his kingdom. And I believe he's happy. Just, yeah, okay. You just, you become a lukewarm Christian. I've, I've honestly lost count of the amount of people who, who used to love Jesus, used to be on fire for God and for the church, and just one small decision after another ends up in eventually, eventually them not being interested in church, not being interested in Jesus. It's the way that affairs happen as well. Very rarely does someone go from being in a loving relationship to having an affair like overnight. It's often just one little thing at a time. And then all of a sudden, an affair is going on. John Stott says this about the evil one. Sometimes he roars like a lion, but more often than not, he is subtle like a serpent. So the temptation, for example, to call every prayer, just a qu- every answered prayer, a coincidence. We, uh, we've been learning, haven't we, about give us today our daily bread. And because of the lack of sleep, uh, on Tuesday night, Caleb had a horrible night's sleep. So we prayed on the Wednesday night, Lord, give us today our daily sleep. He slept through the night. Now, what do you do with the decision in the morning? That was a coincidence or that was an answered prayer? It's just a temptation to so, say, oh, it's, it, that was a coincidence. William Temple says that when I pray, coincidences happen. And I choose to be a man who says in faith, no, that was an answer to prayer. Let's, not, let's, let's withstand that temptation to kind of be like, oh, that, was, that was lucky. The temptation to say when there's unanswered prayer that that means my father doesn't love me. That's a temptation. The temptation to have a text conversation or start a relationship with someone that you just know isn't super helpful, isn't quite right. That's just a little text. The temptation to spend all of our money and kind of not really bother about thinking about the church and the kingdom, just be like, no, that's the last thing in our thoughts, rather than perhaps it should be the first thing in our thoughts. Uh, The temptation to deny. What did you do this week or this weekend? What what are you passionate about? Uh, Wanting to say Jesus, I don't know, football. Just little temptations that all on their own seem small, 
but actually just slowly and surely lead us away from what God has called us. And eventually we find ourselves, like Peter, asleep in the garden. When Jesus is at a time and he said, Peter, please pray for me, brother. So how do we overcome evil? How do we overcome temptation? I just, we look to the cross. That is the place of victory. It is the cross of Christ. Now there's some real practical things we can do in terms of overcoming temptation. Uh, we, we can recognize, first of all, that we are not the first to be led into temptation. We won't be the last. In fact, every generation, you read through the story of Scripture, every generation is led into temptation. And so we recognize that we're not the first, and actually we recognize that God is pretty smart and he's clever and he's called us to not do life alone, but to be part of family, be part of church, as we support, as we're accountable to one another, as we're honest with one another. And it's great, God is... Is growing us as a church. And, but the, there's a weakness to that, if I'm honest, and that's that we can become one of a crowd. Just turn up on a Sunday, go home, not really live life with one another. That, and that's why I think small groups are so important, that we get to know each other properly. Do you know I'm struggling with this at the moment? This is an area of weakness for me. Can you pray for me? Can you help me? And in grace we do, because we are all children of grace. We all fall. And it's the cross that picks us up. It's Jesus that picks us up. So we stay accountable. I think we, we can ask God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us. I will send a helper. So we say, Lord, help us. I need help. I'm kind of going down that way and I'm, I want to kind of text that person. I want to do that thing. Help me. I want to open up my laptop and I know it won't be helpful because it's late at night and I'm weak at late at night. Help me. I trust and I believe that God Will, but we always come back to the cross. We know that that is the power of salvation, the cross of Christ. So we overcome by the blood of the Lamb because Jesus has overcome. It's good enough. God is good, Jesus is good. Um, can I get us to stand? Do you want to go back? Uh, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to read uh, the Lord's Prayer together. Uh, what, if you're a visitor, what happens now, we'll, we'll sing a song, and we're going to take communion, uh, and then we're going to finish off with a, with a bit of a praise song normally. Uh, but before that, I just thought it'd be helpful for us to read the Lord's Prayer together. One, not final time, I guess, but in this series, at least, that's it, we've done that. Tick. Uh, but we're just going to read it together out loud uh, and then we're going to worship and what I think is important is just to fix our eyes again on Jesus perhaps you you feel oh, we're, we're all in the cave right and we're all in an area of challenge and suffering Jesus has come in to that place he's died for us he's risen again he's seated at the father's right hand he intercedes for us and on behalf of us so as we worship now, let's remember that. We're all in different places, but let's sing loudly the truths that we're about to sing. But before that, let's read together. Our Father, 
in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us